Welcome to Very, Very Far Away. Don't you put it in your mouth, don't you bite it in your mouth, don't you stuff it in your face, don't stuff it in your face. Though it might look good to eat, though it might look good to eat, and it might look good to taste, and it might look good to taste. You could get sick, yuck, real quick, yuck, real sick, real yuck. Don't you put it in your mouth. As lockdown eases, we find ourselves in a new position. Things familiar and at the same time peculiar. Versions of what has been before, along with new forms of grouping and gathering in compliance with social distancing guidelines. The situation has changed. General global consensus remains that reducing direct human contact is key to controlling the spread of the virus. Where possible, people should remain within their households and avoid social interaction in person, and particularly indoors. Of course, this has huge impacts in terms of the ways in which people work and are able to conduct their lives both professionally and socially. Where once travel was seen as a cheap and necessary means to conduct business and enjoy new cultures and landscapes, we're now confronted by a barrage of obstacles, border restrictions, enforced quarantines, not to mention a vastly reduced flight schedule and soon-to-be-increased costs as the financial impact of the pandemic is realized. The role of the manager, leader, or scientist has come under greater scrutiny than seen before. Where some act fast, imposing what may seem draconian measures with a view to preserving human life and reducing the impact on medical and emergency services, others take the opposite approach, that of trying to save what is remaining of the pre-pandemic regime, economies and traditional systems. Which sciences are we being led by? Medical or biological? or political or economic. Technologies are touted as a tool to enable us to return to normal. The forms of these can differ greatly from the traditional hard tech to softer social technologies, educational reforms and adaption of our routines, structures and systems as we start to adapt to the new types of interaction, new options as to how the world could be as we get used to and start to develop what is normal now. As our landscape and the shape of our communities evolve, it's increasingly difficult to tell apart those who are pushing from those pulling, who's moving from who's standing still. The mechanized and automated countryside challenges the perceived increase in the economic opportunities to be found within cities. Meanwhile, the telecommuting promises of the 90s seem to be finally fulfilled, as we have learned to work from home. The countryside becomes a series of enclaves for the ultra-wealthy, those able to afford the space and security that this uncluttered landscape offers. The exclusive gated community an hour north of Queenstown. One of the houses there costs $33 million, which is the third most expensive piece of residential real estate in New Zealand history. Whether or not there's a bunker here, this is the pinnacle of how the global elite live in New Zealand. It's remote, it's exclusive, and it's very, very expensive. There may not be a bunker, but these are definitely the bunker people. 
In between lies a growing proposal for suburban utopia. Downtown remains as a spectacle, while socially distanced properties are homogeneously bridging the gaps between towns. Shaftesbury Avenue, the heart of London's West End. Once alight with theatres and bars and entertainment, if you look to your left in a moment, you will see the distinctive gates to London's former Chinatown, and to the right, Soho. This part of London used to be filled with people from all walks of life, historically the heart of the alternative communities and nightlife. The bright lights of the theatres and crowds of tourists filling the streets and squares, including the famous Leicester Square, which is a short walk just to the left here. The first disco in London was opened just up the street there in 1959, funnily named for all the French speakers on the bus, La Poubelle. Nowadays though, you're more likely to see delivery riders and some of the few residents that are still around, though every evening at 7, they turn the lights back on. I moved out here six years ago. It was new, clean, and there is just so much space. I have a garden. I mean, where I was before, there was just no way I could afford something like that. So yes, it's way better out here. I can sleep knowing that I will be safe. I think everyone around here feels like that. Even though we all have our own space, there is a real sense of community here. The ties between community and geography may have been severed. Perhaps the void left between communities was once what helped to define them. Now that this void no longer exists, perhaps it's safer to report a neighbour breaching social distancing, while strengthening your loyalty to individuals you may never meet in real life. Dominic Cummings broke the rules. The country can see that, and it shocked the government cannot. The longer ministers and prime minister tell us he worked within them, the more angry the response to this scandal is likely to be. He was the man, remember, who always got the public mood, who tagged the lazy label of elite on those who disagreed. He should understand that public mood now, one of fury, contempt and anguish. He made those who struggle to keep to the rules feel like fools and has allowed many more to assume they can now flout them. Alternatively, perhaps our immediate sphere of operation is the only area that we feel safe and venturing beyond it will always pose a risk. We may be hyperlocals with hyperconnected minds, roaming thousands of miles instantly from our virtual rooms, each signal we emit travelling far through outer space and deep below the ocean, whilst our bodies are kept active, exercising in circles around the same block. He's probably not quite as addicted as I am, therefore our training outside has become, has suffered a little bit. I think he mentioned to me the other day that he rode 16 days consecutively on Swift, and I was jaw-dropped. I, <laughs> I hadn't seen him for so long, we didn't ride together, and that's the reason he was just in the zone in his pain cave in 16 days. There's always something for incentive, you know, and that's, I think, something that makes a lot of endurance athletes tick. It's like, oh, I want that level. I pulled together my, my best string ever, which was 16 consecutive days. Um, again, because there is a badge for 14 days. Like, it's just, like, I look at it and I'm like, it's bad. But I love it. It's, um, it's, it really is just, you know, the easiness of it. I have a super busy life at the moment. I've got, you know, eight pots on the stove at the same time. And it just allows me to get changed, get going, get done. Somehow allows me to be a kid, you know, on the, on the Nintendo at home, but in my work. Oh, and I don't like 
that my avatar sucks at cornering. My avatar always goes the long way. Somebody has to please look at my avatar. Short way, short way, inside line. The role of community as means of specific knowledge and also incentive to look after yourselves and prosper within your locality has come back into the hands of people to whom it will benefit the most. The truth taking on new meanings dependent upon context as opposed to generic top-down definition. Hi, it's Alaska Granny. Are you wondering what is the Alaska Granny channel about? Well, it's about simple prepping ideas, prepper solutions, how to provide safe drinking water, how to stockpile food for long-term emergency needs, simple ways to prepare food on the grill, in a crock pot, with a smoker, at an off-grid cabin. I share easy tips for natural cleaning solutions, simple sewing. I do reviews on guns and ammo, gun shows, hunting tips, and other outdoor adventures. Historically, we were all residents of the same universe. A universe akin to a big room whose size dynamically fluctuates, shrinking and expanding depending on ideas. A big room for big ideas, sending each other apart in multiple directions, or small, narrow ones bringing some of us together. Now parallel realities, our communities seem adjacent to each other, like multiple instant messaging tabs all opened at once. I want to talk about the decentralization of truth, and uh, thank you, Elise, for giving me a fantastic opening for uh, today's talk. And in all of this, you're trying to find an anchor, something familiar, something you can grasp, something that will give you a basis to understand. And this is the trap. Because we've grown up believing a certain model, a model for discovering truth. And the model we have for discovering truth is authority. And so when we're suddenly trying to figure out what is the truth, what is really happening in this space, what do we instinctively do? Instinctively we look for authority. Hang on. Didn't Andrea say this is a leaderless movement? But who's the authority then? Who tells us what's true? How the hell do we find out what's true if there's no leader? And inevitably, someone pops out of the bushes and goes, I'll be the leader! I'm sorry, we weren't advertising a vacancy when we said leaderless movement. <laughs> we actually wanted to remain leaderless. There is no objective truth. There is no final authority. There will be no answer. No one can tell you. But what makes a community? Traditional rituals are still preserved, albeit in new forms and taking on new adaptions. I'm just, I'm just making the new booths here and resetting the church. It's kind of funny now, the washing and no touching. But yes, we've been doing the whole conversion. Well, as obviously we've had a history of making things very well and being very good at hand craftsmanship. But the fact now that we're winning by design, as well as being well made, our objects are. They're just, they're contemporary. They're well thought through. They're fitting contemporary needs, as well as what are functionally what people need. Here are the dividers, the screens, the separate spaces and seats. It's all handcrafted. Solid oak with copper rails to keep clean. This should last.
Some are even taking things into their own home, connecting not physically, but across a more spiritual medium. Hey friends, welcome to my channel if you are new. Today I am going to be doing something pretty cool. I'm gonna be building a home altar here in my home. Um, I did a video a while ago called uh, What Every Catholic Home Should Have in it, and I always ask for your guys' suggestions and what to add to things, and somebody said that every Catholic home should have an altar, and I thought that was such a cool idea. I really liked it, and so I have been kind of slowly adding things to what I want to put on my altar. I um, went to Marshall's. I asked God if he could help me to find a little, you know, shelf or altar. And so this is actually at Marshall's. I found it on clearance for $35. And so I was so pumped. I thank God for that. And um, I think it's so pretty and just perfect for this altar that I'm going to be doing. Some traditional points of gathering are replaced virtually and new ways to interact between distant spectators and participants are tried, tested, and developed, keeping some sort of nostalgic reality in the act of competition. Remote Cheer, powered by SoundUD, is a system to send support remotely, made for anyone who cannot visit a venue due to responsibilities such as childcare or hospitalization, those living in distant places or overseas, or simply those who enjoy public viewing or live streaming at home, possible by using a device such as a smartphone. Even during games played behind closed doors or games with a small audience, by using this application, fans can send their support from their homes directly to the stadium. This may be what we do best. We adjust, adapt and negotiate making incremental changes, but not radical ones. We take protective gear and we create fashion. Hello and welcome back to Two Docs Gassing. Today we're going to be having a quick gas about PPE because it's back in the news and apparently, Ben, um, we're all going to be wearing Burberry and Barbary Barbary? Barber PPE. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, very luxury, very, not very NHS, I must admit, after yeah, yeah, years of, of cost cutting and efficiency, uh, splashing out on that Barber and Burberry uh, PPE. I mean, I'd, I'd love, I'd love a Burberry check gown. But, uh, I could see you with that. Oh, uh, absolutely. As long as it was, you know, full length, covered me right from my knees yeah. down to my ankles. Uh, but if you could have any brand of PPE, what would you go for, James? I'm all for wearing a Burberry uh, gown. As am I, James. And I've just had a thought. Can you see a day where each designer has a PPE line, where, <laughs> where we're wearing designer PPE masks just for no. fashion purposes? Uh, what do you reckon? You know, diff different countries are taking different stance. And I know um, you could foresee the fact that, you know, you might wear Barber, I might wear Burberry, someone else may wear Nike, uh, and the other person, unfortunately, might have to wear Aldi or Lidl, but it, it may happen. <laughs> we're biologically engaged in the predator-prey relationship making ourselves invisible to pandemics. We identify the symptoms and create workarounds without necessarily addressing the root causes. We can't see it, we can't touch it, and we can't feel it. It is a silent threat. It travels at the speed of our coughs and sneezes. We can move around it, 
we can learn to live next to it and never cross paths. Observe from a distance, look for cover when at risk, and most importantly, always stand upwind to avoid droplets from less careful individuals. Remember, if the wind blows, protect your eyes, mouth and nose. Meanwhile, the space between us has earned our respect. It gained density. The void has obtained some agency. A badly managed void may affect how we feel about some places and how we may perceive the services or the people running it. So here you have it, huh? the universal remote. Uh, it is also compatible with the previous app generations. The adjustments we did were mostly optimization for new data transfer protocol speed, so um, minimizing the loading time when you launch a new interface, for example, has been one of our greatest challenges. Okay, so you can see, and similarly to our previous models, you can see that there is no doorknob, no keyhole, no numeric pad, nothing, nada. Not even the steel plate with the markers we had in our previous model. The technology is so small and the power consumption is so low, it can be embedded in nearly anything. So as Victor demonstrated, uh, you just walk up to the door or whatever object you want to interact with. Huh? You don't even have to launch the app or anything. Your phone should detect instantly that there is an interface and turn on your LiDAR camera automatically. So now, as you can see, um, the entire interface is on the augmented reality layer. So now I'm going to enter the passcode by using the uh, AR a numeric pad on my screen and turn this virtual dial and voila. Did you hear it? That's, that's the door, the door's unlocked. So you find our product in all contactless interfaces. It can be vending machines, ATMs, it's in public buildings and offices, embassies, it's nearly everywhere. Plus, we also have a very uh, robust sof software development kit, which makes it easy for developers to update, adapt, or adjust their interfaces. It also comes with lots of templates uh, you can choose from, uh, depending on your application, of course, to get you started straight away. It's really great. Uh, now you can safely design any public interfaces you want, and all interfaces fit in your pocket, inside your phone, so you are literally only limited by your imagination. Our body's boundaries have extended by a few inches, sealing our personal space away, so much so that we learn more about each other through data streams than in traditional offline encounters. So straight away you can see it's a quality item. In the box you have the mask, some like two kind of wipes, a leaflet with some warranty data and a super neat DIY repair kit. We're going to come back to the anti-fog in a minute, but as you can see, this really is a quality mask. The strap is 100% silicon with toggle adjusters and a full hypoallergic seal around the eyes and mouth. You aren't going to have any problems here with anything getting through. In fact, it has the same medical grade filters as the Razer X. Size-wise, the mask comes in three sizes. I have the medium here, and just by twisting this dial, I can adjust the fit on the bridge of the nose to get the perfect fit. So there's loads of options here for different faces and getting totally comfortable in the mask. Okay, so the big selling point of this mask has got to be the anti-fog coating. This has always been a bit of a gimmick with other masks, so I wanted to see if this really works. Okay, so I'm out here in the park with the mask on, let's see how it copes with some gentle jogging. Okay, so far so good. 
time to increase the pace. Okay, so as you can see this mark really does work. There is no mist on the inside and I can see clearly ahead and around. This would be a really good mask for exercise and anyone who likes to be active and outdoors. Our breath, smell, skin may not be easily accessible. However, private servers are continuously updated on the state of our insides, making this information readily available to the highest bidder. So I've been having a lot of requests lately from the comments section to actually go through and explain my app tracking, contact tracing setups. So I thought I'd make this video to show you a bunch of things and tips and techniques when it comes to choosing the right body data network, what's the right package for you, and things like that. And you'll see this is all much easier than it looks, very straightforward, but we have a lot to cover, so let's get into it. First things first, you wanna choose the right subscription. There are plenty out there, I know, it's getting really confusing, but the first thing you need to consider is the radius of operation. Basically, what do you do when you go outside? Where do you go? Me, personally, I have to consider a radius of seven to 10 miles. I do a lot of cycling to exercise or relax, and I also like to go out. But if you only go outside to jog around your block or meet with grandma down the road, you may not need as much. And the bigger your radius, the more you need to pay attention to the networks available. So choose a network that covers your areas. The next thing is you don't want to choose the exclusive subscription. This only works if your entire neighborhood is on the same network, which I doubt it is. So you want to get as much data as you can afford, basically. So when you fire up your app, you can see where the zones at risk of contamination are. And what you want to know is where most of the healthy folk are, basically. Of course, the more networks you cover, the more expensive it gets, but it's worth it, trust me. Then there are always what people call the black holes. They vary in size depending on your subscription, but basically it's where we get no data. It's where people don't share their body stream or don't even have body stream sometimes. So those avoid at all costs, not safe. Device-wise, I've been using this little thing, it's called Gumball. Broadcast via Bluetooth to your phone for 12 hours straight on one charge. You put it between your cheek and your gum, like someone chewing tobacco, and you're set. And if you want to turn it off, just take it off, it's simple as that. And I know people are talking about data privacy and whatnot, I hear you, I hear you. But answer this, what do you prefer? Putting you and your family at risk of death? Or share your physiological data over the net? It's your choice. But remember, you're not only doing it for yourselves, you're doing it also for your community. What issue do these mechanisms solve? The diseases themselves are too elusive to be caught twice. They too adapt and evolve. Whilst aiming at preventing infections from spreading, it seems that some of these apparatuses' main purposes are to mitigate our fears and mediate our trust. Our clean, transparent bodies filling up the stat sheets and ranking within, below or above averages is a new social contract around which communities may form, hopefully safely. Forgot your spit stick and got locked out? Again. Wish you could just walk around freely and not be wary of social distancing. Wish you could just skip queues. Then stop wishing, get moving and make your own path. 
with just a simple certification from your GP. Apply online for a season pass today. Give your immunity some agency. Create a premium account and claim your health passport. Get more from your health. Don't be held back by others' mistakes. Impunity from immunity. Terms and conditions apply. Certifications needed on a rolling six-month period. In times of pandemic, one's chances to be contaminated, fight and survive diseases may not necessarily correlate with one's financial situation. However, the access to some level of peace of mind still remains the privilege of certain individuals. A homeless man was arrested last night near Waterloo Station. George Coleman, 43, was accused of stockpiling hundreds of bottles of his own saliva. Coleman was allegedly selling his infected fluids as a means to access certain shelters and shops that are being increasingly restricted. Coleman was caught whilst trying to force his way into an off-license using his own trick. He was found carrying multiple flasks of saliva, all of which contained traces of the contagion. The arrest came following a series of reports from dissatisfied customers who were trying to make use of Coleman's contaminated saliva. It's not all bad news, though. There's still room to socialise, as inventive solutions to new challenges getting around the necessity to socially distance are becoming more common. And a good thing to note, they're all free, fortunately, so you don't have to pay any money for this. Like and subscribe to save my sanity, because I'm going to be looking through all these today and see how they're like. First up on our lovely new avatar review, we got our boy Dennis. Just pretend that the head is white or, you know, any other color. It obviously doesn't match here. And this is apparently the uh, brand new package that they're going with for Dennis. It used to be called Classic Mail, but they changed that real quickly after the release. There's a lot of people I see really dragging this one, but I, I think this is one of the like more tolerable ones to come out from this bunch. I would say this avatar, like I hate the face. That's the only thing that's really off-putting. Like this face, it, it feels very in intrusive. I, I don't know the word to describe this one. It's not poorly drawn or anything. It looks fairly nicely detailed. It just gives off a very weird vibe to me. The hair is also not bad either. I actually very much like the hair that comes to this package that is absolutely free, by the way. Overall, I'd give our boy Dennis a solid seven. Like, it's really not that bad of a package, guys. I think the thing that really is off-putting about Dennis is the fact that his face looks really weird, so people will just put off the entire package as bad one. It's not really that bad. Next up, number two on the new avatars is Cindy, and I am starting to crack up a little bit. I cannot unsee what I have seen. I really do feel like that Sydney resembles a Habo character a little bit too much. You can't unsee it, okay? I'm serious. The second that I told you that she looks like a Habo Hotel character, she's really like, he's unrecoverable. I gotta say, I don't like this package at all. At least Dennis was fairly passable, but this hair with the goggles, bro, what is this mad scientist experiment going on right now? It's ugly. Please actually do something with your hair too. Only I am allowed to rock the caveman hair look that does not keep my hair that much. I say this is like a four. Like, the whole outfit is just very tacky and like just there was a really gross purple on it. And the face... <laughs> it's kind of forgettable, honestly. Obviously, maybe I'm a little biased there because I'm a guy. So to any of my girl viewers out there, please let me know in the comments if you also agree with me that that is a very ugly avatar. I really hope, queens, that I am not alone here with this one. What may first look like an effort to preserve old habits through new means is slowly leading to the emergence of a completely new situations and new things. The sunshine doesn't have to stop. Bring the beers to you. Uh, the usual, mate. The lock-in. 
the only fully online public house network. Get your beers delivered from your favourite locals and enjoy one of the hundreds of our pub rooms available with your friends wherever you are. Which measures can be taken to maintain a status quo made obsolete by pandemics, at the same time fitting within the safety requirements and guidelines of our current state of affairs? Hey baby, wake up from your sleep. We have arrived onto the future and the whole world is become... Electronic, supersonic, supersonic, electronic. More automation leads to safer working environments for humans, though this can sometimes come at a cost to their positions as roles are deemed untenable over contact risk and mechanised efficiency. So who's paying then on the end? If the robots take over our jobs, who's then paying the tax? That's why I said it is time to discuss about robot tax. Then we still need roads, we still need trains, we still need schools, uh, hospitals. So somebody has to pick up the bill. I mean, if they don't like human beings anymore, that's fine, then we start fishing. But we want also think we still need jobs for people who are low educated, but like to work, like to be a uh, comrade on the working place. I mean, nothing wrong with that. And the, all those bull in my eyes about long live learning systems and whatever, it's bull It's bull I mean, there are still people who didn't make it at school. They want to work with their hands. What's wrong with that? Fortunately, there are moves to combat this, and new approaches and ways of working are evolving. So, I've been working below the API line for something like 30 years, mostly in sorting and tracking, mainly at the warehouse. You've got a touch screen on your wrist like a big watch that schedules and organizes the jobs for you. All you need to do is make sure the same numbers are matching. When they started introducing the machines, it was supposedly to make our jobs easier and, more importantly, safer. Less contact or gathering in confined spaces, which I understand now, but at the time I was really upset. I thought that safety was just an excuse to get rid of some expenses. You know what I mean? I felt like we were being left behind. When finally I got laid off, I thought I'd do what the others did, which was trying to find the odd jobs in other warehouses, even if it meant relocating, you know? But then I realized that the same thing would just happen again. This is when I came across the workers' retraining program. Climb the API ladder. That was the slogan. It was great. Through them, I learned how to program sorting algorithms. But above that, they gave me the confidence that I could be relevant again and seek work above that API line. So here I am now. I'm not technically above the line. It's more like I am the line. It's like I'm back in the warehouse, but I've turned into that touchscreen now. I sort out job schedules. You'd be surprised how many of us schedulers there are. The cool thing is now our data is being used to train the algorithm. So now it's like the machines are learning from us rather than replacing us. Even though that's probably how they will end up replacing us in the first place. But that's inevitable, I guess. And anyway, I'll be retired by then. Hopefully. What may have been the odd predictions of some old corporate future visions trying to show thought leadership have now transformed, for some, into obtainable dreams. 
If you don't know, neuroscience is just amazing. Uh, these days, it's coming out with so much great research about, you know, all the things that happen in our brain is true. It's true. And in the sense of like turning on the same neural circuitry that happens in real life. And so by creating these amazing landscapes filled with these amazing energetics there, and then maintaining an ability to be fully 100% present in your body-wide state of feeling. There's a sense of being in two places at once in your, maybe in your bedroom with your door shut, but with your eyes wide open, but also in this magical place, this second place, second being multiplicity uh, to being fully embodied in this magical duality with a sense of appreciation and full sense of attention there's these things uh, kinds of magic that start to pass through and penetrate through your body and feeling of like i can be anywhere and be everywhere all at once I stopped thinking and just became in this state of total absorption of beauty uh, that there's just around me. But our bodies are no different, man. Like, you're inside, you're outside, but you're totally connected and you can be here and there at the same time. It's just technology, man. It's, it's like the bridge and gateway all at once. You can do it all. Our availability and attention is more commodified than ever before. Clocking in when turning on your notifications might already be part of your working contract. Okay, so I don't have too much more information for you guys. So, okay. So, yeah. you, you guys on? can go and um, study first and do everything that you can to just do a really fantastic job on that checkpoint again questions let me know you can shoot me questions either in google classroom or in uh, an email so turn your notifications on for google classroom oh look what's going on there jenny Jose, I'm Use code goblin oh my god at gleetm.com yeah. what's going on <laughs> Earl Whitworth. <laughs> All right. So if that was the way that I turned this, that's like not very great. Um, so I'm going to close out the meeting now. Bye, guys. Can the decentralization of certain institutions happily exist without the need for a shared system of validation and qualification? It's as though the enabling of a sprawling decentralized suburbia could slowly lead to a certain monocultural freedom. The freedom of living separately from others, abiding by locally informed standards and rules, forcing away the unfamiliar, a sort of freedom by exclusion within self-colonizing communities. Many of the best communities have a long list of requirements for students and their families to meet, from rigorous academic standards to having the right postcode. And it's the latter that has prompted one in four parents to move home closer to their desired certification centres, even if it's not in their dream area. Catchment areas have always been incredibly important for parents choosing where they want to live. 
What's happening perhaps at the moment is because of the conditions having been different for some time, households that normally would have sent their children to schools are perhaps looking more keenly at what different communities have to offer. Education is one of the most important things for a child, so we would definitely consider moving to be within a certain catchment area for a board that's rated outstanding, so it's really important. I've moved from a four-bed house two streets away just to be in this catchment area for a primary group. I mean, there's so much we can do at home, but having a support and certification here compared to our last place? Well, it was a chance we couldn't miss. So when the opportunity came up, we took it and moved into rented accommodation here. Even though it's a bit smaller, we just wanted to give her the best opportunity. We find that customers are spending up to £32,000 extra on borrowing to secure the property of their dreams and in the right catchment area. All customers have a priority list when looking for new property and we find that education catchment areas and those with strong community support bodies are higher on these lists, especially for parents with young children. Moving forwards, how might we react to new extraordinary events, sets of circumstance, with blind ignorance, trying desperately to protect what we once had and the systems, however flawed they might be, that support it? Or by allowing ourselves the chance and opportunity to rethink, to accept that things don't have to revert to the way things have always been. There is or at least there could be an opportunity for fundamental change. It's easy to see the slipping back into old habits, familiar routines and experience a gross collective forgetfulness. Or perhaps it's a selective memory. The moment the sun comes out and people are released from varying degrees of confinement, the risks seem to dissipate. None of the sentiments are necessarily accurate. More a conviction or self-serving belief arguing that what you're doing is right. You will be okay. It doesn't take too much imagination to think that we will wake up tomorrow and this will all be forgotten, perhaps even sooner. The longer this situation persists and the more people are struck by the situation and its associated effects, the further what was once normal will seem, eventually fading out of immediate memory, replaced by more recent constructs the normal in a state of constant evolution, change and reprise. Thanks to everybody who's been involved in developing this investigation. Sitraka Rakatoniena and I were joined by Malena Okuchi, Michael and Chris Lewis, Hugo Pilate, Simone Rabadengo, Nesta Pestana and Nick Mortimer. This episode has been arranged and mastered by Matthew Mott. My name is Andrew Friend, and until the next pandemic, stay alert. <laughs>